and get started tonight if we can please uh, we are so thankful that you're here tonight we are honored that you've chosen to be here especially if you're visiting with us hope you'll come back Sunday at 930 for our worship service and again our Bible classes on uh, Sunday evening at five o'clock I hope you got one of the bulletins when you came in tonight it's got uh, updates on all the sick and other pertinent information so please pick one of those up uh, of course, uh, Brother Luther Mormon uh, had surgery on his shoulder yesterday, and he's at home doing well. Also, uh, Chopper Taylor had his biopsy today, and he was able to come home, and it'll be another week or so before they know the results on that. He's at home resting, and uh, we want to continue to remember him in our prayers, and we hope that the biopsy turns out well for him. Also keep in mind others that are on the uh, sick list as well, and uh, let's do what we can to encourage them. We want to express our sympathy to Brother uh, Charles Bonham in the death of his brother-in-law, Floyd Vidler of Arlington, Texas. 
Uh, don't know any arrangements exactly regarding that, but please remember Charles in your prayers. There's a lot of lads to leaders information here. If you'll check the bulletin out tonight, as far as uh, the schedules go for different events, please uh, look that up. Also, your CYC money is due now. And keep in mind the Valentine's date night child care this coming Saturday night from 4 until 10. I wonder if I could bring my two dogs. I don't know if that can. I better not. I don't know. We'll see. But anyhow, uh, that's this coming Saturday night from 4 until 10 in the TAC. It's for birth up to age 12. Uh, please sign up in the foyer. I understand they're going to be providing uh, cheese pizza. But if you could provide the drinks uh, for the youngsters, uh, maybe some snacks that you want to leave for them as well, that would be appreciated. Uh, also, uh, there's a, a list of thank you notes in the bulletin. I'm not going to read those tonight, but please take a moment and read these thank you notes that are in the bulletin. We also want to congratulate uh, Gay and Brian Rowland and the birth of their granddaughter, uh, Millie Drew Moody. Uh, she was born to Caleb and Molly on February the 8th. She weighed 8 pounds and was 20 inches long. So we uh, congratulate them. Our food pantry and clothes closet is tomorrow uh, from 9 until 10.30. And we're a little bit short-handed this week. Some people have been sick. Some are out of town. Uh, especially in the clothes closet. If you would be willing or <clears throat> would like to come and help out with that tomorrow, we would appreciate that very much. That's from 9 until 10.30 tomorrow. And our pantry item for this uh, week is mac and cheese. Uh, that's all the announcements that I believe I have tonight. Brother Ken Forrest has an announcement that he's gonna make uh, after I'm done. But for our devotional, Andrew Langley will lead our singing. Brother Doug Greenway will present our devotional thoughts and Jonathan Farr uh, will dismiss us in prayer. This is more of giving some young men an opportunity. And you want to grasp the opportunity, yes? Yes. Okay, so you, some of you know that occasionally I'm invited to conduct the worship service for the Somerset West Church of Christ in Cape Town, South Africa. And how that works is usually after our morning service, around 11.30 a.m., I go over there in my office and I am transported to South Africa through Zoom. Well, we're actually conducting their evening Bible study. Not only is that taking place there in Somerset West, but there are people over in Zimbabwe and Malawi and the Congo and even Ireland of all places. So there are people from all corners of the earth involved in this worship service. Well, I need a little help because we are going to be the main participants in that worship service. What I need are some young men to volunteer for this Sunday in my office, let's say about 1115, to conduct this worship service. Okay, here's what I need. I need someone who'll do a scripture reading and then lead an opening prayer. I need somebody who will give a thanksgiving prayer. That's just a prayer of thanks. I need someone who will lead the thoughts in the Lord's Supper. So that 
would mean developing a short little talk and leading the prayers for the Lord's Supper. I'll need someone who will do a closing prayer. If you've been listening to that and you thought, hey, I can do that, then I am giving these opportunities on a first-come, first-served basis. So, yeah, grasp that opportunity. You want to sing our song, just get us fired up. <laughs> but please see me tonight so that I can fill these spots and you can begin to prepare yourself for Sunday. Thanks a lot. Faithful love flowing down from the Good evening. I thought I would tell you if you haven't uh, been reminded that today's Valentine's Day, men. <clears throat> and uh, you married or in love folks or some of you who'd want to be, this is an opportunity day for you to tell someone that to you they are very special. And woe be unto you if you uh, Forgot it. Uh, Walmart's open till 11. 
<laughs> or maybe you can make a makeup call and arrange a special night before long to celebrate that or in some way acknowledge that special relationship. Our tradition uh, between Vicky and myself, uh, we don't do that for birthdays. We, we give each other a gift. But on Valentine's Day, years ago, we decided just to exchange cards. And we keep it simple. And that's our tradition. And you need some sort of tradition, in my opinion. But more important than that is what you do every day to show people that you care about, including your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you love and appreciate them. This comes so easy for little children, but sometimes as we grow up, we outgrow the need for that, it seems, and outgrow the habit of that. Don't outgrow that habit at your house. And you adults set, and grandparents also, let's throw that in there, set a good role model for that uh, in front of the little ones. And in fact, they'll encourage you. A little bit of advice, you can borrow our habit if you want, but every night when we go to bed, 95% uh, of the time we go to bed at the same time, and one of us says first, I love you, and the other replies, I love you more. And that's the last thing that we hear at night. We, we go to sleep from there. One of my dad's favorite songs was written by Scotty Wiseman in 1945. And it was sung by an old time country singer by the name of Red Foley. And it goes, have I told you lately that I love you? Could I tell you once again somehow? Have I told you, or have I told with all my heart and soul how I adore you? Well, darling, I'm telling you now. Do you remember when you first realized that a certain person was a special friend or even a sweetheart? That's in the Bible. There are a lot of special friends mentioned in the Bible. I think about 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1, which says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Or I think about 3 John verses 13 and 14, where John said, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. So how many people, here's a thought question, do you have in your life who would say about you, our souls are knit together in love? And what would be the implication of that if they said that to you? A card is good, I'm not, not uh, minimizing that. But let your friends know face to face that they are very special people in your life. I'll just say it this way. Look at your list of Facebook friends 
and your list of phone contacts. Are you taking care of these people? And I'll throw in church directory. Are you taking care of these people like you want them to take care of you? Now, go out behind the barn and think about that. So how can we apply this spiritually? Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if, capital I, capital F, and I've circled that word in my Bible, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's always a big if in the middle of life. So if you believe in Jesus, if you have shown time and time again, perhaps, the Lord that you love him by repenting of your sins, if you've confessed your faith before Others, you need to confess your faith one more time that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. I checked today in Mark 16, 15 and 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved is still in the Bible. Or as a Christian, if you love the Lord, have you been kind of slack or have you just stopped? laying up treasure for yourself in heaven? Have you quit or do you struggle alone right now with some burden that your friends here would love to help you bear? So you can come ask for prayer to get the support you need right now or you can become a Christian. And as we stand and sing, we invite you to come. Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all the things that you've given us, Lord. We are thankful for the lesson that we heard tonight, Lord, and pray that we will always uh, look out for those that are important to us, that we love, are involved in our lives, Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that you will be with us throughout this week, and we pray that you will bless those that have heard the words today, and pray, Lord, that they will always be found faithful in your kingdom. And Lord, it's in your great and holy Son's name that we pray. Amen. Some glad morning when the sun is old.
boxes of books right back in the back. Brother Stan, Brother Stan Smitherman, would you get one of those boxes back there at the back? Brother Billy Martin's going to get the other one. If you would like to have a study guide as we begin our study of Galatians, just hold up your hand and he'll give you one. There are a lot of opportunities for classes on Wednesday night. You may have noticed in the uh, bulletin that uh, we're going to be studying Galatians in this class. In the conference room downstairs, Brother Todd Sweeney will be teaching about watchful Christians. And in the little chapel, there is uh, a ladies' class. And they're studying improving your Christian attitude. We are working tonight to try to improve our technology. We're supposed to have a monitor right here that will have the PowerPoint on it, but we haven't been able to get it to develop tonight. So I'm going to try to operate from Two clickers. <laughs> this study guide that you have will have most of the slides that we'll have on the board. In addition, spread out through our class, I've, I've uh, interjected some questions. The study guide I have for myself is called a teacher's guide. I wrote my answers in that one. I left blanks for yours. That way, if you would like to look ahead, you feel free to do that, and I'll let you be prepared in here tonight. I've also talked to Brother Rick Warner. In previous classes, he has helped me by being the voice of the South. And sometimes when we have Bible readings, I'm going to call on him to do those readings. Now, now I really love this book of Galatians. I think as we go through this, there may be some things that you've never thought of in here. I think you'll find that Paul is rather plain spoken in the book of Galatians, and uh, he gets right to the point, especially as we begin in chapter 1. Uh, in this book, he's going to give some huge warnings about false teachers. He's going to give uh, 
great detail about where he got his spiritual knowledge. And he is emphatic that he didn't get his spiritual knowledge from man. And as we start looking, we'll, we'll look at other places where he was talked to and where he got his knowledge. And I think you might be surprised at how much, even though he didn't walk on earth with Jesus, you may be surprised at how much Jesus talks to him in his ministry. I think we're going to get a, uh, a pretty clear contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you'll notice that in Galatians it's famous for be not deceived, God is not mocked, and we're going to look at that in a little more detail. We're going to get a lot of spiritual applications about sowing and reaping. We're going to get a better, clearer, clearer contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's important that we study Galatians because probably more than any other book in the New Testament, Galatians is misapplied by many in the religious world today. We've got 13 lessons in your book. Now, you know we've already used up one of our lesson periods. We had a great presentation from John Pig last week. So we got 12 weeks to get through 13 lessons. So some lessons are longer than others. And if we finish one lesson, I'm going to just move right on into the next so we can just cover as much as we can. The book of Galatians, uh, I think, is built around the churches that Paul helped establish on his first missionary journey. And we're, we're going to have about three lessons that will be foundational before we get into the textual part of, uh, of, of Galatians. The study plan is we're going to start tonight by looking at a timeline of Paul's life up to the writing of the book of Galatians. To me, I found this rather enlightening. I didn't realize how long Paul had been a Christian when he went on that first missionary journey. Maybe you already knew that, but we're going to try to look at some detail of the timeline of his life. Then we're going to use the next two lessons to go back to the book of Acts and look at the establishment of the churches of Galatia. Then we'll go into an the introductory part of Galatians in lesson four. Paul goes into fantastic detail about the source of his inspiration. He's fighting against false teachers, and I think to help him in his arguments against false teachers, he's going to show why he should be believed and why he is inspired. And then... You're, you're familiar with the Jerusalem conference when he came back after the first missionary journey. He talks about that in Galatians chapter 2, and we'll look at that and go back to Acts and look at that in more detail as well. He is very concerned 
about contaminating the gospel with elements of the Old Testament law. And we're going to study about what he said about sliding back into the Moses' law. He chastises them pretty good in chapter 3, and so we'll look at the foolish Galatians there. He goes into a lot of detail about how we are heirs. You know, in Vacation Bible School, uh, we sing that song about Father Abraham. And, and we're going to try to put some meat on the bones about Father Abraham and why we're children of Abraham and children of promise. And then we'll understand why we're rightful heirs to the promise that Abraham was given. We're going to go into discussion about being led by the Spirit. Then we'll look at the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. And then we'll finish up with be not deceived. I kind of doubt we'll get it get to lesson 13. If we do, we're going to study about modern day misuse of Galatians. But I put a really lengthy article at the back of this book on that. So if we don't get there, at least you'll have the material to read. All right, let's look at the timeline of Paul's life up to and through uh, writing Galatians. Paul identifies himself as the author of this epistle in the very first of the book. And we're going to look at the, the, his life in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Rick, would you read that? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. The source of the information I'm going to be sharing with you now is from the Blue Letter Bible. If you're not familiar with that, the website is there. They give a chronology of Paul's life on, the blue, on this particular website, and I've used that as sort of a guideline. It's not inspired, but a lot of it is linked back to timelines on the Bible, so I would imagine it's pretty close. In A.D. 5, we have born an Israelite in Tarsus of Cilicia. There in Acts 22 and verse 3, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. And then in Philippians 3 and verse 5, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. First question. What is the significance of Paul saying he was circumcised on the eighth day? What do we know about Paul when he said that? He was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, what would you say about his parents? They were Jewish. Not only were they Jewish, but it looks to me like they were practicing Jews. Because the Bible gave them instructions to do that. You may not have known it, but God is, one, uh, God is a better scientist than any scientist that we have. Some of you may know why they circumcised the males on the eighth day. Does anybody know that? They bleed less. They bleed less. Your amount of vitamin K is greatest on the eighth day. And so God knew that. Isn't it amazing that God told them when they needed to perform that? 
and he was circumcised on the eighth day. And that tells us that his parents were practicing Jews. Uh, you have a blank in your book, and as I said, I'll put up on the, on the screen the answers that I gave. Let's move on a little bit. In the range of A.D. 15 to A.D. 20, he went to the school of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. In Acts 22 and verse 3, he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of his father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Just an observation here, when he says that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, as I, I looked at some commentaries, the best guess is that this, they would bring people into this school when they were 10 years old or so, and they would stay there for about five years. And we know from Acts chapter 5 that Gamaliel was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, and a respected uh, teacher of the law. In Acts chapter 5, then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. If you'll remember... The Sanhedrin was having a lot of problems with the disciples. They brought, put them in jail, and, and here this man, Gamaliel, is standing up in defense of the, of the apostles. Later in that particular reading, you know, he, he, his argument is, we've had people that have risen up before and, and fought against us, but because they didn't have God behind them, they failed. If these disciples have God behind them, they're going to su succeed. And no matter what we do, uh, we're not going to be able to fight against God. So this gives you a little bit of insight into the kind of teacher that Paul had his instructions from. Now this is just a... Well, I answered my bonus question. I am sorry. What caused Gamaliel to make this speech to the Sanhedrin? Well, what would you say? Why did he get up and defend these disciples? Any idea? The high priest and most of the Sanhedrin were trying to stop the explosive growth of the way. When I refer to the way, what is that? referring to Christianity or the church okay and they had had the apostles arrested and brought before the council and ev I don't know if Gamaliel ever became a Christian or not but he was certainly en route to it he also Paul also said that he was a Pharisee there in Philippians 3 and verse 5 of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee. Just an observation here. 
Given the Pharisees and the Sadducees differing views of the scripture, it is not surprising that they are argued over certain doctrines. You'll know that the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. Um, the Sadducees rejected the idea of the unseen, of spiritual world, but the Pharisees taught the existence of angels and demons in the spiritual realm. You'll know one of the first times we encounter Saul of Tarsus is in Acts the seventh chapter, and oh, and carrying over into Acts the eighth chapter. If your mic is turned on, let's try it again. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. He was a, a persecutor of the church. You know, in, in Acts the 8th chapter, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He, and when he was writing books later on, like the letter to the church at Philippi, he said concerning zeal, persecuting the church. It was something that he had a hard time forgetting. As a matter of fact, he didn't forget that. Now, I guess the, when he said he was chief of sinners, he had to be thinking about all that stuff that he did before he became a Christian. And then we're going to get into Paul's conversion. I don't know if I've got this question there, but it just, why is it, why was it easier for Paul to be a Christian since he was a Pharisee and not a Sadducee? All right, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and certainly a huge part of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, you know, sometimes when you convert a person, there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen, and so he didn't have to have as much unlearning as he would have had if he had been uh, a Sadducee when he was converted. We're going to read several passages here dealing with Paul's conversion. Rick, would you start out, please? Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speech, speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. 
But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate or drank. Now there was a certain disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent to me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Then he said, God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will see his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard, or you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All right. Who spoke to Ananias, telling him to uh, go to Saul and tell him what to say? Be a little more specific than God. Jesus has spoken to him. Yeah, the Lord. Right. Uh, this is not the uh, first time that the Lord is going to interject himself personally into the life of Saul of Tarsus. When Ananias spoke to Saul there in Acts, you saw we Rick read from Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22. What was Saul's spiritual status? Was he saved or lost? Now you'll remember when he read in chapter 9, in verse 9, and then later in verse 11, that Saul had been praying and fasting for three days. So what was Saul's spiritual status when Ananias came and started to talk to him? Lost? But I mean, he'd been praying. Still lost. How do we know he was lost? All right, he hadn't been baptized, but how else do we know he was lost? Told us to wash away his sin. Sin separates us from God. If we have sin, we are lost. He certainly believes it. He, he, well, he did believe. And he had been praying. His praying didn't save him. His believing didn't alone did not save him. It was he made that final act of getting rid of his sins when he obeyed what the Lord had told Ananias to tell him. And that was to do what? Arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. There's a great lesson here. We could probably just stay all night talking about this because... Some people overlook this and it becomes the source of a lot of false doctrine. 
read recently an article on that by, by Pentecostal, and they say that Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. He just didn't know it. <laughs> For those of you online, Brother Milton Floyd said that he had heard recently that somebody thought that Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, but just didn't know it. Well, we're going to find out what he was told and why he was told here, and, and we believe what Luke wrote there in Acts. That is completely different than what you hear people tell you you need to on television pretty regularly today. We do hear a lot of things that are different from the Bible from time to time in religious settings, but what should be our guide? God's Word. Now then, we're in AD, about AD 34, and he stays in Damascus. There in verse 19 of chapter 9 of Acts, so when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And then he travels to Arabia and remains there. We find that over later in chapter 1 of Galatians, in Galatians 1.17, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then he returns to Damascus and then exits that city for safety. When he, we, and once again from Galatians 1 and verse 17. And then in Acts chapter 9, in the discussion there, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in, in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. I know during our vacation Bible school, this our, our Super Saturday this past year. Some of the teachers were uh, building walls or what looked like a wall and, and had baskets going down so they could teach the young kids about what happened to Saul. I like what we're reading about here. In AD 37, this is three years later, he returns to Damascus, then exits the city for safety. That's where he was let down uh, in a basket from a window in the wall and, es and escaped the hands of the government officials who were trying to kill him. Then he goes to Jerusalem. There in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 29. Can you see that, Rick? Yeah, All right, would you read that, please? And when Saul had come to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him 
and now he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenist. But they attempted to kill him. All right, this is similar to what he's talking about there in verse 18 of Galatians where he said, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him for 15 days. Then he goes back to Tarsus for safety. I mean, those people in Jerusalem weren't all that welcoming to Paul when, or to Saul of Tarsus when he was there. In verse 30 of Acts chapter 9, when the brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. I want you to notice the timing. Paul's first trip to Jerusalem as a Christian was three years after his conversion. If you look at that map, you can see Jerusalem, and then they took him to Caesarea, and then you can see he went all the way up to Tarsus. The scale at the bottom would tell you that he got out of town, about 250 to 300 miles out of town. In A.D. 46, Barnabas travels to Tarsus in order to seek Saul. And we find that in Acts 11, verse 25. On, if this timeline is accurate, Paul has been in Tarsus this time for about nine years. So we've got about 12 years after his conversion. In AD 47, he goes to Antioch with Barnabas. And they're teaching many. In Acts 11, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. While he was there in A.D. 47, Agabus came there and he prophesied about a famine. And in those days, prophets came to, from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did also and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So not only did Barnabas and Saul come to Antioch, but in Antioch, they were accepted and, and became an integral part of the congregation. And when they're sending this benevolent convoy back to Jerusalem, it's Barnabas and Saul that are picked to go with them. And then they return back to Antioch after they've delivered their benevolence in uh, Chapter 12 of Acts, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. We're going to, in A.D. 47, we're going to start talking about his first missionary journey. We're going to cover this in lessons 2 and 3, so I'm not going to go through it in detail here. But there were a lot of different stops on this missionary journey. 
And they completed that missionary journey, first missionary journey. Said they came from Pisidia, they returned to Antioch of Syria and reported their journey to the church. And we'll read about that in Acts 14, verses 24 to 28. In A.D. 49, they go up to Jerusalem for the council, or Paul does with Barnabas. This is referred to in Acts, the 15th chapter, and in Galatians, the second chapter, and verse 1, and in the sixth lesson in your study guide, we'll cover that particular detail. In A.D. 49, I think this may have been the time that Paul wrote Galatians. Certainly, they had contention over John Mark and Barnabas, and John Mark sailed to Cyprus and start their own missionary journey, and Paul and Silas depart going through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches, and we read about that in Acts, the 15th chapter. I found this timeline, and they put the writing of Galatians somewhere between A.D. 49 and A.D. 57. Certainly it was after the Jerusalem conference because he refers to that in Galatians. And uh, it was certainly after he had established those churches there because we're going to see he's very frustrated that some Judaizing teachers are trying to convince them they need to be circumcised. So we know it's after his first missionary journey that uh, he wrote Galatians. So it's sometime in that eight-year period, and I would say probably closer to A.D. 49 than it is to A.D. 57. Now, when you think about this timeline, what, if anything, surprised you about the timeline of Paul's life? Did, it, did any, anything that we studied there surprise you? Brother J.T. said he was a mighty young man when he was, became a Christian. He was about 29 or 30 years old, and he immediately went to work. Did anything else surprise you about the timeline? I know it did me when I, when I realized that he had probably been a Christian for well over 12 years when he went on that first missionary journey, probably closer to 14 so he had had a lot of time to be taught by Jesus and a lot of time to practice his skills as a preacher. Uh, I, I just never thought that he's hung around Tarsus there for that nine-year period. Now, maybe you did. You may be a lot better Bible scholar than I am. But uh, you think about all of the other disciples spent three years with Jesus, and then right after that, they go to work. Paul is in a 14-year training period before he really launches out and starts to work and starts writing books that ultimately become half of the New Testament for us. I'm going to move on in just a little bit now to, and we're going to look at uh, the second lesson. We might be able to get just a little bit of that started. The establishment 
of the churches of Galatia. In Acts 13 and verse 1, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lysias of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. How are Barnabas and, uh, and Saul described there in this verse? Their group with a group of people that are called what? Prophets and, and teachers. And, and they weren't the only ones there, but they were, they were certainly grouped there. They're part of a group of very, uh, of, that had grasped the opportunity in terms of what we're trying to do here. In uh, Acts 13 and verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who sent Barnabas and Saul on the first missionary journey? Antioch. Antioch is where they were, but Antioch didn't send them. Who sent them? Jesus didn't send them. Who sent them? The Holy Spirit sent them. You've got to watch closely here for these questions now. Just an observation. Now, this is not in your study guide, but we've now had two members of the Godhead involved in Paul's ministry. Jesus at his conversion and in some direct conversations with Paul, and now the Holy Spirit is intervening and sending him on a missionary journey. In Acts 13, verses 3 through 5, Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. There it is, see. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then they, when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. This is that John Mark, you'll remember, that they brought back with them when they first went over to carry the benevolence to Jerusalem. And you can see this is where they're starting. They're, Cilicia is part of Cyprus. On this uh, missionary journey, where is the first place we have a record of them preaching, and I'm not talking about the town. I'm talking about what in the where did they go in the town to preach? They went into the synagogue. Now, I think this is going to start a pattern of them going first to the Jews of a location, and then they're going to go to the Gentiles. And they're going to repeat this over and over. And I think what we're also going to see is that many of the congregations that they establish are going to be mixed congregations. They're going to have people that have Jewish backgrounds and people that have Gentile backgrounds. But even when Paul was going to be converted and the Lord spoke to Ananias, he told him that, that Saul of Tarsus was going to be going to a lot of different people going to be going to rulers, he's going to be going to Jews, he's going to be going to, to Gentiles. He also told him there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that he's going to have to suffer. 
And, and as we go through this, we're going to see that that happens. In your study guide, you might mark Acts 13, verse 6, and Lord willing, we'll start there next week. According to my clock, we're out of time. I've, I've tried to move us back further in the room so we can be more like a classroom. And so if you have an answer, I have a better chance of understanding you. I appreciate your cooperation in moving back. Would you bow with me and we'll close in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you loved us so much that you put men on this earth like Paul who would share your gospel and record it so that we could have record of it. We pray that you would bless us in this study, help us to glean from the things that you have had, had written, the things that are most important for us so that we can live faithfully and expect a home with thee forever. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.